you probably need to talk about money a little bit more in a constructive way with your partner. You mm. probably need to talk about money in a more constructive way with your own parents mm. if they are still with you. You need to talk about money in a more constructive way with your children. And mm. if you don't have children, with your nieces, with your nephew. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fresh Start Podcast. A show where we share success principles, explore the stories, experiences, and journey of real people in order to provide newcomers with strategies to succeed. My name is David Ochenga. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Rajan Bansi, who is the President and CEO, Ultimate Designated Person at RBC Investees. On today's episode, Rajan shared the role Love plays in a person's success how to network creatively, how to close the immigrant wealth gap, and much more. Please help me in welcoming Rajan Bansi. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Rajan. Pleasure. Thanks, David. So let's get right into it for the time we have together. You know, we all have reasons for making decisions at different times in our lives. I'm sure there's a reason behind your migrating to Canada. Can you walk us through your experience growing up as a child of immigrant parents in Canada? Sure. Thank you for the question. I think most immigrants struggle with varying degrees of fitting in with everyone. And my my story is is no different. I'm 46. I feel even older saying that out loud. Um, <laughs> and, and I define myself as Canadian. No hyphen. I define myself as Canadian. And I'll tell you why in a moment. But, you know, every day I'll walk by someone, likely by many people, who don't see me as a Canadian. And maybe they come to that conclusion because I'm brown. Maybe they can draw the specific conclusion because I'm Indian. Maybe they look at me and see someone who is um, an immigrant. And in my case, I I wasn't born here, but um, I very well could have been. Um, And part of the reason I'll say that I label myself as a Canadian is I've decided that I am the person who will define myself. And I will not let anyone else take away from what I believe to be is mine as much as theirs. And I would encourage every new Canadian or immigrant to do the same. They are as Canadian as anyone else. Mm-hmm. Specific to your question, um, I recall a lot of things, but if I were to bring up a couple of themes, um, one theme would be it was really hard. Mm-hmm. My parents were both educated in India, but chronically underemployed in Canada. Um, there just wasn't a lot of uh, extra money growing up. I never attended a summer camp ever growing up. Uh, there weren't ever any after-school activities. And that's a combination of um, two factors. One, there wasn't a lot of extra money around mm-hmm. at home. And second, there wasn't even necessarily someone around who would mm-hmm. be able to, to take me to uh, these activities. And that's just kind of the way it was. Um, and, you know, I, I still remember my, my first week of 10th grade, and that's over 30 years ago now. And I recall classmates being embarrassed because their parents hadn't taken them to back to school shopping for for clothing. Um, I don't think I ever was taken for back to school shopping uh, in my entire life. Uh, My my parents did their shopping uh, wherever was the cheapest place that had stuff on sale for what we absolutely needed. And, you know, like my my family experience, my, my father studied engineering, but in Canada, he did everything from work in a fish factory to drive a cab to well into his 60s, um, unload trucks at a warehouse um, 
in the midnight show. And, you know, some of the experiences I had growing up are specific to, um, say, an economic background or um, income um, considerations. But you layer in the experience of um, not only being an immigrant, but also being a, a visible minority in 1980 Scarborough. And it was hard. But look, at the same time, I also want to be clear. I, I am forever grateful to live here. I've experienced professional and personal success that never would have come my way if my parents stayed in India um, or if they had stayed in the first country they immigrated to, to raise, uh, to raise me and uh, my older sister. Um, and that was England. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, whether it was as a child or um, adulthood, um, again, let's be clear. I've, I've been targeted by the racial epithets. Um, I, I've been targeted by verbal and physical bullying. I've been spit on. I, I often tell the story that as an eight-year-old playing soccer in Scarborough, I still to this day distinctly remember a parent pulling their son out of the post-game handshake line because per her instructions, um, their child was not to touch me because of the color of my skin. Um, that was my experience. And yet I consider myself to be very lucky to live in Canada and be a Canadian. Now, let's talk about your career because you touched a little bit on, you said you've had professional and personal success. So let, let's, let's move to that part. Let's talk about that. What's led you to make your career choice when it was time to go to university? Yeah, I, um, I'm going <laughs> to, I'll break the answer into two parts. Um, and, and maybe... You know, maybe you'll find both parts interesting. I don't know. Um, I think some people might find the second part more interesting. It depend, depends upon where people are in their careers. They might find, especially if they have children of their own, they might find the first part more interesting. But if I start with the first part, um, yeah, my, you know, my, my parents, working class backgrounds. There was no family member who had a, a white collar job. There was no mm -hmm. friends that had a, a white collar job. My, my friends' parents all worked in factories or, um, um, you know, um, public facing jobs um so so not necessarily in a, certainly not in an office setting or in a uh, in any kind of a of a corporate setting so there was no network and there was no guidance and quite frankly that's not really the fault of anyone around me i i just don't know what they could have done they just weren't in those they just weren't in those circles but it was clear that education was going to be um, my only path to 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 be to to, to get one of these jobs um you know, we, um, we've been working from home for over a year and it's funny. And, um, I, I think about this every March and for a lot of people, especially for those in the financial sector or professional backgrounds, when, when March break comes around, they think about where are they going to go? Are they going to go to Florida or are they going to go to some cottage or some resort? Mm -hmm. The best and maybe only March break trip that I remember, I was in grade nine mm -hmm. We lived, my family lived in um, Pickering at the time. Mm -hmm. And my mom took me and my brother mm -hmm. downtown mm -hmm. to the path. Mm -hmm. So this underground network that connects all of the office buildings, that was the destination that my mom took me and my brother to. And the reason she did it and to her credit at work. The reason that she did it is she wanted me to see what was possible mm -hmm. because we didn't, we weren't, we didn't have anyone around us who would go to work in a suit, nobody. Mm -hmm. So to be in the path and mm -hmm. to be seeing all of these 
shiny buildings with all of these really important people. I wanted to be like them. And mm. um, the, the only way that I was ever going to be like them was uh, I had to get an education. The, the problem was, so that, that's the first part, right? Like the focus on education. The problem was, and again, it's not anyone's fault, but the problem was um, the perspective that my parents brought to the table and my network around me that brought to the table was, if you do well in school and you work hard, you'll get a good job. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Um, that, that's part of the equation, but that's not the answer. And if I'm being completely honest with not only you, with myself, I did okay in school, right? Like I, I did, I did as well enough as I needed to do, um, mm-hmm. which I guess is kind of smart. I, I don't know if I'm bragging, but it sounds like it. So, you know, again, like family circumstance, like I worked in a car wash, I worked in a factory, I worked wherever I needed to work to save up enough money to pay my way through school. Um, and for a, a variety of factors, I knew I was going to be going to the University of Toronto. Mm-hmm. So in high school, when I when I had enough grades uh, and I knew my grades were good enough to get into the university, of Toronto, that, that was kind of it. You know, we, we didn't try extra hard. That, that probably wasn't the right way. But nevertheless, when I was in university, it was the same approach. And what um, I focused, I focused too much on the books. And I was also working 40 hours a week between two jobs. But still, I focused too much on the books mm-hmm. and I just did not focus any time at all on the people. Mm-hmm. And graduation comes, got decent grades uh, at the University of Toronto. I couldn't even get an interview, right? Like I always want to go into equity research or anything in the capital markets. I couldn't even get an interview. I remember one of the banks was kind enough to actually send me a rejection letter. I was like, wow, at least somebody, somebody got something, right? Like uh, at least I know the mail still works because someone got my resume and they sent me back this rejection letter. So, you know, I, I got a job and it was, by the way, in hindsight, it was a great job. I, I got a job um, in a call center and, and I learned in that call center as I was around other people, I'm not alone. I'm not the same person that's in this boat. And in fact, um, my university degree is not the end of the journey. It, it might actually be the beginning of the journey. Mm-hmm. And for where I want to get to, I have a lot of gaps in my mm-hmm. personal, if I'm a product, this product is not very good right now. Mm-hmm. It's got a university degree, but quite frankly, who cares? Um, there's a lot of courses I need to take. I need to work on my public speaking skills. I need to work on my writing skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to have um, I need to have a network of working professionals beyond my group of friends, mm-hmm. and that's going to be a lifelong journey. Um, so I went back. To school. I, I started my CFA. I, I went back to do my MBA. Um, so I knew enough about myself at 24, 25, knowing um, I needed more coursework. I needed more broader education. I needed more relevant work experience. That was specifically why I went back to do my MBA. And that was the beginning of the next phase. And you're going to say you don't believe me, but I am a very shy, introverted person. So the idea of networking, I cringe. Um, Mm. But if you reframe that into, why don't you talk to people, get to know them and make some friends? Cool. I can do that. Mm. Or at least I'm more willing to do that because I'm just not a transactional guy, right? Mm. I'm not a transactional person. I don't want to use people. I I much rather help people. Mm. What you're doing, by the way, David, you're helping people, right? Um, and that was the beginning of the second phase. So the mm-hmm. second phase was I have to continually beef up my skill set. I am not owed anything. Mm-hmm. And how do I deliver value? Mm-hmm. So defining what are the needs of um, whether it's employers or the market, if you want to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And then how do I bring forth that value and tell the story mm-hmm. and work harder than everyone else and hope for some luck 
because whoever feels luck is not a big part of their success just hasn't acknowledged how lucky they are. Mm. Now let's talk about your career progression, but let's talk about what has helped you to navigate your career journey as a visible minority, because I've had conversations with a lot, a few people who says that, you know what, I'm stuck in this, in this role. I've done my best. I've, I've, I've gone back to school to do my MBA. I'm mastering the heart of communication. I'm building relationship with people, but it seems like the doors are not opening. What are the strategies that have helped you to navigate your own career as a visible minority? I'm not not sure I've necessarily thought of it that way. And maybe I should have. Here's how I'll answer your question. Early on, I don't really think I had a plan, right? I went to school, finished school, got a job, worked in a call center, worked hard, did well. But it was really when I went to do my MBA and I did my MBA in Los Angeles and you just kind of realize there's there's actually a lot of smart people out there. So how do you set yourself apart? So mm. if, if I go back to the examples of the stories that you're sharing, it's not a critique, but I would just, I would encourage people to be honest with themselves, right? Mm. So someone may feel like I've got a degree, I can't get a job. My response would be like, there's, there's a lot of people who have a degree, right? There's mm. more people who have a degree than, than there are jobs out there. And then someone might say, well, I have my MBA. Okay. You know, as I, as I say to my friends and my, my colleagues, all of whom are my friends as well, mm. I'll say, I actually have this expression. I'm like, that's nice. So what, right? Like you have your MBA. I have your, I have an MBA. Lots of people have an MBA. All it, all it really shows is that you invested in yourself and, and that's good, but we're not owed anything because of that. And mm-hmm. where I'm going with this is what is your source of value? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of products out there. I know we can't really physically go to a lot of stores, at least in Ontario, there's a lot of products out there, but when you go to buy a particular product, uh, mm-hmm. a set of headphones, a barbecue, any mm-hmm. product, there might be half a dozen products on there. Mm-hmm. But you only pick one. Why did you pick that one? Mm-hmm. You said no to the other five, right? Mm-hmm. How do you think those other five products or product sellers feel like, hey, I'm here. Why, why didn't you pick me? Something about that product was better. Maybe it's not actually better. But there is a perception of value in your mind that was better. This one is the best. Mm-hmm. So I would say that you have to be crystal clear on what your source of value is, A. And B, you have to be able to communicate. Some people will say, what's your superpower? Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe that resonates you with you. Maybe it doesn't. But I, I think the spirit of it, the, the ethos of that statement are the same. What is it about you that's better than any other person? Right. And I, I think that's I think that's the key. So look, like my, my my story about getting into equity research at RBC Capital Markets in 2005, at least to me, is a little bit crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted that job in 1998. I, I told you I, I couldn't get an interview. I went and did my CFA. Couldn't get an interview. Three levels of the CFA I had finished by the time I was 26. I went and got my, I moved to the United States to, to do my uh, MBA. Uh, I had an internship at an LA investment bank. They didn't pay me, by the way. It was an unpaid uh, internship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I needed that for legitimacy in my mind on my resume. Um, I was president of my class, won all kinds of awards in school, um, finished my MBA. I didn't really get a lot of interviews. I got more rejection letters. And what I did is I just decided I've got to do something different. Mind you, this is 2003, so I don't think this really would fly in 2021. And 
it was harder back then, by the way, like there was an internet, but there wasn't really a LinkedIn. Uh, I was able to figure out who was the head of research at every major firm in Toronto hmm. that I wanted to work at. There's like 15 of them. I sent them a detailed, personalized letter and it was specific. Um, I want to sit down with you and I want to discuss how you view an ideal research associate. I know you're not looking for one right now and I will be transparent with you that I'm looking to become one. But when you're interviewing for one, I want to be the best one. Mm -hmm. Here's what I've done to date. Here's how I'm continuing to round out, round, round out my um, skill set. And 12 of the 15 firms responded. To, um, six of them either set me up with an informational interview of some kind and three of them interviewed. One of them was actually RBC. I went through seven rounds of interviews. The final round was with the COO of research, Ann Bowman. And um, she uh, contacted me on a Friday or a Saturday. She had to move her personal schedule around and was just asking if I could accommodate and meet with her on a Sunday mm -hmm. at an Indigo. Um, sure. Got up. I drove from Ajax out to the Yorkdale Mall where the, there was an Indigo. I met with her at 10.30 a.m. We had a great chat. Do you think I got the job, David? No. I did not get the job. But you know what? I, I wasn't owed anything. Mm -hmm. I, I was and remain extremely grateful that I had the opportunity. I asked for feedback. Uh, I don't recall if I got some, but you know, I, I gave myself some feedback what I could have done. I'll, I'll let you know also, in each, in each one of these interviews in 2003, I handed over a full financial model on a USB drive and an initiation of coverage report of a company that was in an analyst coverage universe at that firm. So mm -hmm. I showed them. I'll do the work. I went through the prospectus. I built the model. I did the valuation. I, I can do this. Um, I didn't get the job. That was in 2003. Um, I was able to land another job with Fidelity Investments, which is an amazing job, but it wasn't an equity research. And what I did is I stayed in touch with Ann Bowman. I stayed in touch with the analysts who interviewed me. And two years later, I reached out to one of the analysts to have a catch-up coffee. And he responded, in lieu of the catch-up coffee, one of my associates just resigned. Mm -hmm. Why don't you come in next week for an interview? It was 2005. I came in for the interview and two weeks later he hired me. Mm -hmm. So I just stayed with the hustle and I just kept trying to make myself better. I am my own marketing funnel and I just kept working on how do I get someone to buy into me? And when I got the job, I, on the job, I, I got to work. I had to be there by seven. I got there at six 30 in the morning. Um, mm -hmm. they're a great team. Uh, I stayed around till like seven or eight every single day. And I went to prove that I was not only able to do the work, but I was valuable mm. and not like I thought I was valuable. I was going to show them I had tremendous value for them. And that's what I did. I just got all my work done. I tried to do it well. I um, tried to get better at writing. I tried to deliver value. And two and a half years later, it was Ann Bowman who helped me get my next job within RBC Wealth Management. And I met a um, friend, great boss, Martin Jansen, who took a, a chance on me on his uh, equity desk and kind of the same thing. I'm not owed anything. There's a lot of smart people here. What do I need to learn? And that's how I learned like I have to view a job. Um, if I'm applying for a role, I have to be able to deliver a significant amount of value on day one. That's what's in it for me and the employer. But there has to be something here that I can learn and leverage into the next role. Mm -hmm. And in that role, um, I continue to do a lot of volunteer community work. And you know, like I said, I don't like transactions. I prefer to help. So whether it's through the University of Toronto or 
Pepperdine University where I did my MBA or the CFA Society. Um, I like to help, and you know, the the side benefit is, yeah, like it's, I guess it's a way to network, but that's not why I do it. Like, I just like mm -hmm. to help. And out of that um, came a, a feeling of fulfillment of helping people, talking to them, mentoring. And as I shared that with Martin, <laughs> Martin was like, you know, you should manage people. Mm -hmm. Why don't you take a shot at managing people? So I then I transitioned from his U.S. equity desk to his um, to to the uh, a role of managing a Canadian fixed income desk and then a, a U.S. fixed income desk, and kind of the same thing, right? Contribute what I have as an established skill set, but looking around and seeing where are there gaps in our business where I can step up and deliver more value, and mm -hmm. at the same time learn as I go and. You know, fast forward to 2017, how I ended up in my current role, kind of the same thing, a little bit of an accident. There was a, a person who was in the RBC Human Resources Department, who I had been in contact and remain in contact with. Her name is Kathy Klish. And she sent me an email and she, saw, uh, and she said, hey, it's not really out there, but RBC is building this new digital investment business and they need a, a portfolio manager. Um, you should put your hand up for it. I don't even think there was a posting because I, I didn't really see it. I shared my resume. I met with a few people. 10 days later, I was in my new job. And here I am. And very much the, the same the same story. I I was the successful candidate for the for the role I was hired for in 2017 because it's a discretionary investment management business. There was a need for a portfolio manager. So designing our KYC, how we thought about the investment process, investment philosophy, that's where I contributed. But the opportunity for me was sitting on a senior management team where there was a discussion of strategy and digital product and a lot lower to compliance and operations. And I am not an expert in any of those domains right now. I know a lot more right now than I did four years ago. And I, I try to throw myself into that stuff because I like to learn. I, I'm still that curious kid who was in a bank 40 years ago with his father and was looking around and was like, what is all this stuff and how does it work? I'm the same. I'm, I'm at this great business, RBC Investees, in an amazing company with so many smart, capable people. And I virtually look around at the place and at the people who I work with. And I think to myself, what is all this and how does it work <laughs> and how do I learn more about it? So I just think that's what people need to do. And, you know, whether you're new Canadian, how you define yourself as a new Canadian who's been here for 40 years, an immigrant who knew, or a new Canadian who just arrived or someone who was born here to immigrant parents or not, I would say the majority of people sell themselves short mm. in how they tell their story. Mm. They're too vague. Generally, if we post a job, a cover letter is optional and I never get one. And if I do get one, it seems like it's a boilerplate template. There's no story there. Mm -hmm. And the resume at best sometimes is a recital of facts. And it's just not clear to me, what is it about this person that will make them such a special addition to my, to my team? Whereas every single person on our team to me is special. Every single person, there's something about them that is really uniquely special. And it might be from their, the number of languages they speak. It might be from their <clears throat> accomplishments. It might be in their, their own 
personal pursuits because of their curiosity and they have the IQ and the EQ to contribute a lot. And that's why I think we have a culture and a team that's second to none, a solid, if like a plurality, if not the majority of our team was not born in Canada. Mm. Um, and I don't go out of my way to look for that stuff. I, I look to hire the best person every single time. So you just have to tell a really good story. So let's talk about like when you started your career, did you ever know that you would rise to this level in your career? Has it crossed your mind? Like, did you know? No, of course not. Yeah, you know, I guess in, in some ways I have exceeded what I thought I would accomplish beyond my wildest dreams. And yet I still think the best is yet to come. We all, so let's go into the mentorship piece. Who were the people you look up to as you were growing in your career and how has mentorship and sponsorship played a role for you? Yeah, critical. I would say, you know, mentorship, I don't even know what that means sometimes, although I've certainly had um, mentors. Uh, like I think about mentors as people who take you under their wing and help you, try to mm -hmm. guide you, right? And I've been lucky. I really have. In a sense, I've, I've always had that, but I think it's kind of just a matter of perspective, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I used to work, you know, my weekends were like in, in university, David, I think you can appreciate this. I used to work 10 to two in a bank, go home, change my clothes, work at a car wash, 3.30 to 11 PM. And then the next day at that same gas bar, work from 7 AM to 11 p.m. I worked a 16-hour shift and I did that every weekend. And I also worked during um, the week. So the reason I bring that up is even when I think about those jobs, I always kind of had people who uh, were good to me, right? Like I didn't know anything about anything. So uh, like even at the even at the car wash to, to think about like how you can interact with people and learning about like merchandising and selling, like, you just gotta ask questions. And if you ask questions, Keep more than help, happy to share their expertise if you just want to learn from them. Mm -hmm. When I was at, uh, when I was a bank teller, there was, uh, you know, I would say all my colleagues, and I still remember, the, I still remember the woman who hired me, Kathy Lynch. I still remember the manager that I had there, um, Heather Dykstra. I, um, I, I'm actually still in touch with her. Um, they were just always, they're always helpful. And they're all, I never really thought about them as mentors. I thought about them as, as friends. Um, when I worked at, a contact, uh, a call center, ING Direct, that's now Tangerine Bank. Um, there was a gentleman that I'm, uh, I would consider today one of my best friends, uh, Maurice Davis. And it's 1998. And I had not really heard of the CFA. I had kind of heard of the CFA, but not really. Mm -hmm. And he told me about the CFA program and how his uh, roommate was pursuing it. And if I was serious about investment management, I had to research it. And I, had to, mm -hmm. I had to get into it. And that's what I did. So it's just so funny that I pursued the CFA based upon the advice of a guy that doesn't even work in the world of finance and never really has. So that's how I think about mentorship, a teacher who just helped me. And I think the mistake that a lot of people make, not just new Canadians, is they look at a mentor as a savior, mm -hmm. as someone who's going to enter your life and just kind of make the magic happen, right? Mm -hmm. And that person doesn't exist. And it's unreasonable to ask anyone to, to, to do that for you. So for anyone who thinks that they have to go find a mentor, uh, I would suggest 
again, like take a step back and look around you right now. Mm-hmm. Who's helping you? Who can you just ask a question of for help? And no, it's not a 10 or 15 minute coffee chat. It's the person that you work with. It's your existing manager. It might mm-hmm. be a direct report. It might be a family member, it might be a neighbor. Like mm-hmm. who can you talk to? It might be a classmate. Mm-hmm. Um, that's real mentorship for both mentorship and sponsorship. They are earned. So mm-hmm. I would consider, because I, you know, in my, in my role in, um, equity research, I would consider Ann Bowman a sponsor, not a mentor. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I didn't actually, um, I didn't work directly with her. I, I worked directly with, um, Dirk Lever, who is, um, an analyst with Walter Spracklin and they were my managers as well as my mentors. They were great teachers. Uh, and I, I, I'm forever grateful, uh, for the the role they played in, um, teaching and like all good teachers, they won't take any of the credit. (laughs) You see that on some LinkedIn posts, they they refuse to take any credit. They're like, no, it's all you, you worked hard. You asked good questions. You earned it. But no, they, they were a big part of my development. Um, I asked them the questions. I allowed myself to, to be vulnerable and took the feedback and did something with it, but they were the mentors and Ann Bowman was the, the sponsor. I would say my, the manager I had um, in my prior role was probably the person who played um, the dual role uh, mm-hmm. of being both uh, a mentor and, um, and a sponsor. And yeah, I look, I'm, I'm lucky now. I've, uh, I would say every manager I've had uh, that I have now, the manager I have now, Terry Lee Weeks, the prior managers through Relage, also great mentors, great sponsors. I would say I'd be I would be remiss not to 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 mention um, a manager I had in 2003 to 2005, Steph, Stephanie Nakawa, who was at Fidelity Investments, and she was not the last, maybe not the first, but maybe one of the most memorable managers uh, I had because she um, she just had a deep, authentic care mm-hmm. for the people who worked for her. And mm-hmm. there's a lot more of that now, and that's good. I'm not sure there was a lot of that in 2003, but that was her moral compass, that she deeply cared for the people who worked for her at a personal level beyond anything else. And that, that really left a mark on me. And, you know, again, that's what I say. Like, if you want a mentor, maybe you just got to slow down and you don't need to find a new person. You got to look closely at the people you already have around you and what can you learn from them? Mm-hmm. I would also say, because, you know, I, you and I even talked offline, like the allergic reaction we have with these 15 minute coffee chats, I would focus more on making yourself available as the person taking the 15 minute coffee chat and asking for the 15 minute coffee chat, right? Like mm-hmm. if your ratio of the, the give to get is 20 to one, okay, you're probably doing all right, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't remember the last time I asked someone for um, a coffee chat. I, I regularly reach out to people and try to exchange value with them. Like I read this. Or I saw this, I saw this conference, or my new friend David's got this podcast. Uh, you know, I think you would really benefit it, benefit from it. Um, that's how I exchange value. Mm-hmm. I don't ask for fifteen minute coffee chats. Um, I do some, but I would say that the way to deliver value is put yourself out there and help other people. And you mm-hmm. would just be surprised how people help gravitate towards each other. You might not even remember this, David, but. Um, I know you put out your occasional feelers on LinkedIn, looking for people to come on to your podcast, but you might not remember why I'm here. I'm here because I started to see your posts mm-hmm. through my network. I was like, who is this guy? Who is this guy, David? And what is he, what is he doing? <laughs> and I was just struck by, wow, 
he's not looking for advertising dollars. He's not looking for sponsorship dollars. He's not looking to get paid. He's not looking to move up. This guy's looking to help people. And like, look at all the time and effort he's putting into this. And I sent you a note and said, David, love the work you're doing. I don't know if I'm important enough to be on your podcast. I would love to be a guest, but whether I am or whether I'm not, how can I help you? Let me know if I can get you another guest. How can we make this happen? Yeah. I didn't ask you for a 15 minute coffee. I was drawn <laughs> to what you're already doing. Yeah. Said, like, how can I help you? How can I bring some value to what you're doing? Mm -hmm. And here we are. To your point, you mentioned something very, very critical at the beginning of this conversation. You said money was a very difficult conversation in your household growing up. That's, you know, the best gift your parent could give you for a match break was walking around the path downtown Toronto. A lot of people, especially immigrants, still struggle with this. As an expert in this industry, what inequalities do you see in terms of how minorities build wealth? It's a good question. Um, I think there's elements of your question that are uh, maybe public policy considerations that are beyond the scope of my expertise. If, if I were to bring it back to investments overall, mm -hmm. um, you know, my, my parents, they didn't talk a lot about money, but I knew that it was important. I knew that it was important to know about money. I knew that it was important to, to save. Um, but I, you know, to be honest, that's all I knew. I didn't know how to save, right? Like the, the ins and outs of an RSP and later a TFSA, I, I figured that out on my own. But the gift they gave me was that it was important because they talked about it to some extent. Mm -hmm. I would say the primary barrier that comes to money and hey, look, I, I, I'm, I, I'm high on responsibility and low on blame, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I love when people put up their hand and say, I made the mistake. And it drives me crazy when someone points at someone else and says, uh, you're to blame. I would say the biggest issue with regards to money is people don't talk about it, mm -hmm. right? So if, if you're a new Canadian of any age, you probably need to talk about money a little bit more in a constructive way with your partner. You mm. probably need to talk about money in a more constructive way with your own parents mm. if they're still with you. You need to talk about money in a more constructive way with your children. And mm. if you don't have children, with your nieces, with your nephew. And it's not about, hey, you got to save money. I'll, I'll give you just a short little story. I have a five-year-old. And whenever possible, it's not easy during COVID, but whenever possible, when I'm going grocery shopping or if my wife goes grocery shopping, we try to take her. Mm -hmm. And most parents won't take them because they know their kid's going to like see the, the smarties at eye level. And they're going to say, well, you know, I want this. And it's just another argument. But, you know, my daughter will go and see two yogurt. And my daughter sees the Paw Patrol yogurt and she's the, she sees the other yogurt. And, you know, nutritional value aside, she wants one. I'm like, okay, pick one. And I want both. I'm like, well, Isabel, here's the price of what this costs. And if I spend money on both of these, then I have less money for everything else, mm -hmm. right? And less money I have for everything else is less money for, for you. And it's not just food, but, you know, um, fun stuff or games or treats. And she starts to understand. And, you know, about a year ago, we, we bought a new car. We just need a new car. Our, cold, our, our car was, was, uh, was old, uh, but it was good enough to trade in. But my daughter, when we got the new car, it's blue. My daughter's like, I like the blue car, but I also want to keep the red. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just do that? And it was a, <laughs> it was the basis of a conversation for, forget about the car. She just, 
we have a one car garage so practically <laughs> no but we don't need two cars but also but like for her um if we want the blue car isabel we actually have to give up the red car mm-hmm. or we have to choose to keep the red car it's one or the other because mm-hmm. there's this thing called money where we have to we have to pay for it mm-hmm. and that's why mommy and daddy work and she, she starts to understand why we work and she starts to understand why all of these zoom calls we have are important and that's how i talk to my daughter about money mm-hmm. and i actually think that is the single biggest barrier and i get it people look to our schools or they look to the government for programs on financial literacy and and there's a place and organizations play uh, play a role but the most important role is the role we play mm-hmm. and whether it's my experience with wealth management um, or whether it's my experience right now with RBC Investees, which is a robo-advisor, the number one center of influence when it comes to where people are going to go to have their money managed mm-hmm. um, is their family and friends. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, it's their parents. And it might not they might not want to use the same person that mom and dad, and maybe they do, they might not want to use the same person, but they will actually probably ask their mom and dad, where do you go for your investments? Mm-hmm. Why? Okay. Is that for me or not? And maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but you know, that that's a good conversation to have. And I think the biggest barrier is the information barrier, the education mm-hmm. barrier. Mm-hmm. And in too many, too many families and maybe too many cultures, I don't know, um, money is still taboo. Mm-hmm. And if you want people to be confident with money, and to be good investors, you need to talk about it. It's not the knowledge is not going to fall from the sky. Hmm. So now let's talk about the wealth gap. Because from your own standpoint and from your experience, I'm sure you can you have you have some 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 insights into this into this topic. So what would you like to see happen in our communities or even in governments that would help to close? the wealth gap, but right now speaking to immigrants? Um, I mean, what would I like to see? I would like to see every single person, not just in Canada, but uh, I, I would love to see everybody more wealthier tomorrow than they are today. That's, that's what I would like to see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, look, the, the only way I can, the only way I can really answer your question is um, from the seat I sit in. Finance is for most people, it's a little bit like eating well and going to the gym. Mm-hmm. We all know we're supposed to be good at it. We all know that it's important to our well-being. Um, but it's one of those things that I think we generally will put off until tomorrow. And then mm-hmm. tomorrow we might put it off for another day. And uh, I think people are more likely to finally organize their closet or clean out their garage than sit down and go through the painful work of going through their um, personal finances. And, and I get it, but it's not that hard anymore. It's really not right. It's not mm-hmm. that hard anymore. And I think we just need to have a reset and look at it a different way. Cleaning up your finances is easy and it's good for you. It's good for your stress level. It's good for your mental health. Mm-hmm. It's good for your long-term well-being. And the great thing about investments unlike going to the gym, you can actually automate it. Mm-hmm. You can actually pay a really small fee, a really mm-hmm. for real, pennies, less than a penny on the dollar. Um, you can now pay for somebody to do it all for you. Mm-hmm. How amazing is that, right? Um, 
So what I would like to see is the millions of Canadians Mm -hmm. who haven't started saving or investing for their future to start. And you don't have to be, it's kind of a paradox. A lot of people think you need to be wealthy to start. Mm -hmm. No. Um, And the most important piece of advice I can give when it comes to investing is start today. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my favorite expressions is, hey, David, when is the best time to grow a tree? 20 years ago. But the second best time is now. Now, yeah. You can't do anything about 20 years ago, right? So like the mm-hmm. best time to have started investing was sometime in the past. Mm-hmm. Be it is, who cares? Forget about it. The best time to start is right now. Mm-hmm. And you can start with no money to open the account and you can put forward 20 bucks every single month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you're around young people, mm-hmm. what a great way to show a habit. What mm-hmm. a great thing to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. And I say to people, like, how do, how do I talk to my kids about money? I'm like, show them your phone. You're showing them your phone for all this other stuff. Why don't you like show them your phone and show them, look, like this $20 came out of my bank account where my paycheck, uh, my you know pay goes in and I moved it over into an investment account. Mm-hmm. And look, like I've been doing this for the last year or two years and I've put in X amount of money but now it's worth more hopefully Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and explaining how that happens Mm -hmm. and teaches a lot of things, sacrifice, discipline, staying with a plan. And that's healthy. Right now we have Bitcoin, Dogcoin, and all those other coins. Yeah. What opportunities and challenges do you think the current environment presents to investors? Great question. And you know what my answer is that the greatest opportunity is to learn about it Mm -hmm. because I don't think there's a lot of, I mean, there are, there's a growing number, but I don't think there's a a large universe of established thought leaders with regards to crypto. Mm -hmm. Some, a lot of opinions out there. Um, Mm -hmm. But if I think about the people that I would rely on, it's probably two or three that I would go and and I do, and I go and ask them questions um, about. So my two or three opinions on crypto are, one is the obvious, it's here. My second opinion is, I don't have the impression it's going anywhere anytime soon. And my third opinion is if you want to be of value in that space, someone should read up and be an expert on it. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have it in our investment offerings and no plans for that to change. Um, so that's number one. And number two is I would say that's that's an example of an investment theme that has some durability to it. Mm-hmm. And if you want to enter the world of investments, pick something and be an expert on it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's crypto. Maybe it's, I don't know, momentum trading. Maybe it's um, ESG or mm-hmm. a, not even ESG, a, focus, a specific focus on the impact of climate on the investment landscape. Mm-hmm. But pick a topic or topics and be the resident expert on it mm-hmm. and deliver value. Mm-hmm. That's what I think about crypto. Wow. Right. Thank you so much for that. Now let's, we are at the, at the tail end of our conversation. So um, imagine sitting across a newcomer or immigrant. I know you've shared a lot of things with us. You've shared your wisdom. You've spoken about strategies that have helped you. You've spoken about sponsorship, mentorship, networking, building quality relationship, and you've used beautiful stories to illustrate your point. However, now bringing it home and rounding this up, imagine sitting across a newcomer or immigrant. What advice would you give to them to navigate their journey? And how can they showcase what their unique experiences bring to the workplace? A lot there. Obviously, 
maybe it's me, David. If you know, if I was sitting across from a newcomer or an immigrant, I I, I would recognize um, there's something unique about them. But I would be sitting across from a from a Canadian, and they they have a couple of um they have a couple of motivations that not everyone may have and the first one take a resilience growth mindset approach the first one would really be they might feel rejected right they might feel underappreciated but what's underneath that what's underneath that is they think they are capable of more mm-hmm. I would not confuse that with deserve because I, I, I just wouldn't. They think they're capable of more. I would say use that motivation. Use that motivation as almost a chip on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. That I am deeply motivated to earn my way to what I deserve. Mm-hmm. Instead of being despondent about what you don't have right now, use that as a deep motivation to earn what you deserve. That's number one. Number two is I would say, no matter the circumstances for someone who is a newcomer to Canada, they left something behind. Mm -hmm. Might've been a career, might've been family, Mm -hmm. might've been assets, Mm -hmm. you know, a a stable income. It might've been all of those items, Uh, but they still came here. And by doing that, yes, they sacrificed a lot, but they did something else. They bet on themselves. Mm -hmm. What a great story that they bet on themselves. Mm-hmm. But that was the first bet. And maybe it was the, the largest one, but that was the first bet. And they just have to remember that, that they're here because they bet on themselves. And not to regret it and not to, um, not to worry about or you know, feel bad about the payoff to date and how it didn't match up with what they hoped for, but just remind themselves they've already bet on themselves. And just keep taking the steps to bet on yourself in different ways and envision where you want to arrive. And I think if you can, if you can picture where you want to get to, you'll start to unpack what are the steps you need to take to get there. And it's probably not all courses. There's probably more of a, a networking and you refer to it mentorship sponsorship angle there. Um, is there any final, final thoughts that you'd like to share? I would share a few things. Number one, what you do is absolutely fabulous david you're a great example for every canadian of um how we can make each person better you're a great example of anything is possible i love how you try to deliver value and to help and i am hopeful most more people will follow your lead and other than that, I would say that the the key to success in the job market there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of ingredients into that recipe and surely never forget luck, never forget sure IQ accreditations, but never forget the EQ and never forget that you have to be able to articulately tell a story. You have to mm-hmm. be able to tell that story verbally. You have to be able to tell that story well in some written format and you do not it's not really best if you're the judge Mm -hmm. of how well you communicate 
Mm-hmm. You have to ask other people for feedback. Ask for feedback, right? Mm-hmm. So once you have your your story of how you would send an email or how you would do your resume or how you would think about a, a cover letter or how you do a presentation, you need to ask other people for brutally honest feedback. And it's only through that feedback you're going to evolve and get better. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much once again, Rajan, for being a part of this. Pleasure, David. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fresh Start. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone you know and love. Please go ahead and subscribe on any platform you listen to your podcast. And also please take a moment to leave us a review because that would help us to reach more audience. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at freshstartorb. If you know any newcomer you think would be a good fit to interview for the podcast, we'd like to hear from you please go to www.thefreshstartup.com to nominate someone. We appreciate you and remember, no matter how hard the past is, you can always begin again. Take care and have a great week.